Hello, I'm Anna Bishler. I am a medication safety pharmacist within the medicines use and safety team within SPS Specialist Pharmacy Service. And I'm here with Jay Patel and we are going to be discussing language barriers and the impact that they have on medication safety. So first of all, Jay, can I ask you to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so um, my name is Jay and I'm a regional facilitator for NHS England. And I currently work in the early career pharmacy team. So I help support early career pharmacists training and development. Um, my other role is overseeing a project in Liverpool, and that involves the rotation of pharmacists around specialist and generalist trusts. And that's to help them become more rounded practitioners and promote different career pathways. Fantastic. Thank you, Jay, for joining us. Um, I think it's first uh, very important to acknowledge that um, we as medication safety activists, we rely quite a lot on good communication to ensure the safe use of medicines. And Jay, you've done a lot of research into language barriers within healthcare and how that affects um, the safe use of medicines. So can you briefly tell us why you've chosen to explore that issue? Yeah, um, so in 2021, I did a fellowship with Health Education England, who are now part of NHS England. And the focus of that fellowship was to make equality, diversity and inclusion improvements within the School of Pharmacy and then share that beyond. So at the time, I had a really good line manager called Jane Brown. And Jane basically allowed me to think about my time in healthcare. Um, so I've got a background as a hospital pharmacist. Uh, think about what issues I'd experienced and then start to think about what could be done to resolve those issues. So what I did was I went away and thought of different ideas. And something that I'd always felt was that the care that I was able to provide to patients who experienced language barriers wasn't as good um, as those who didn't experience them. So the feeling I got from being on the wards was that, you know, patients who experienced language barriers, they just didn't get the same quality of care. Um, and that was because of that communication barrier. And it also felt like there was a lack of shared decision-making with those patients. Um, so, you know, when I was on the wards, I found it quite awkward and stressful to speak to those patients when, you know, it was quite a significant language barrier. So trying to inform them about any new medicines they've been started on or determine what medicines they took was nearly impossible. Um, and I've worked in multiple trusts now and, and, and done some time in primary care. And I've never been shown how to use language barrier services that we have available to us. And when I had used them, I found it really time consuming to try and, you know, organize and arrange them and have that conversation with the patient. So what I ended up doing during my time in hospital was creating workarounds, really. Um, so, you know, instead of speaking to that patient, I would... Uh, speak to a family member to try and find out, you know, kind of what medication they were taking, any issues they've been having. Um, I might have rung that pharmacy to find out what medication they were taking. Basically doing everything to completely bypass speaking to that patient. Um, now, that is a clear example of health inequality because, you know, I wasn't providing the same level of care to those patients um, just because of their inability to speak English proficiently. So that's kind of what sparked me sort of looking into this and I had the um, sort of protection of the fellowship year. Um, when I asked around and spoke to my peers and my seniors, both in hospital and across different sectors, um, they were all doing the exact same thing. So using these workarounds to get the information that they needed because they also felt that they didn't have the tools to overcome these language barriers. 
in an efficient way. And they also experience, you know, that awkwardness and anxiety when dealing with those patients. That, yeah, so, that's, oh, sorry. Yeah. It's lovely to hear your personal experience mm. with it. And um, and it's nice that, that people can individually recognise that. And it, it's also been recognised nationally, hasn't it? So with the NHS England's um, guidance for commissioners, <laughs> it, it's in there. It's recognised nationally that a patient's language and communication requirements shouldn't impact the quality of care that they receive when they when they're accessing health care um so can you tell us sorry what have you found um can you describe for us the impact that you found of language barriers on on ensuring the safe use of medicines yeah so um it's i mean it's probably worth mentioning first that the immigration levels are increasing and that means the diversity of our communities is increasing um and based on you know the latest findings, there's there's over a million people in England and Wales who can't speak English well. So that's important because the evidence suggests that patients who aren't proficient at speaking English experience poorer care. So obviously, if that number's on an upward trend, we've got a greater number of patients in the healthcare system that experience worse care. Um, so we're going to have greater costs to the NHS, and you know we're going to have an NHS that can't meet the needs of the population that it serves if we don't sort of address this if we're thinking about the risks to patients what those risks might be is you know it's those delayed appointments because letters aren't being sent out in a language that they can read it's incorrectly taking medication because patients can't read the directions on the label or they haven't understood what directions the healthcare professional have given them and you know it's those patients that have gotten to a consultation and just They've not fully understood what the healthcare professional has been telling them, or they haven't been able to articulate what they need to get the treatment that they need. Um, so those are those are some of the sort of safety risks, and these are the sorts of things that have like a, a snowball effect on ineffective treatment. And part of the reason why people experience language barriers tend to have poorer outcomes. Um, it's, it's it's not the only reason why. So it's wrong to say that you know a language barrier is the sole reason why. These people might experience poorer healthcare, but I think language is definitely a factor. Um, and when you look at the data from the research that I did, so the research that I did sort of looks at pharmacy professionals across all different sectors, had about 500 responses, and less than a fifth of those respondents believe that the care is quitable for patients who experience language barriers. So a majority of healthcare professionals, pharmacy professionals think that care is worse for people who experience language barriers um and that's mainly because they can't understand the patient and you know the patient doesn't understand them and that's really important isn't it is that um how we as healthcare professionals can address that and how we feel um and how it impacts us as well as healthcare professionals um because we need to understand that in order to take those first steps into uh, addressing that equity for, for all. Um, in your research, you interviewed a number of healthcare professionals. I know you mentioned um, that you focus primarily on the, the pharmacy profession, but I, I personally would imagine that your findings from that professional group would be very much of interest to all professional groups because there, there will be elements that can be translated. Um, so can you tell us, um, when, you, when you spoke to these healthcare professionals, what, did you, what was the primary learning that you found from that? Um, well, I'd say that the key, the main finding was that, you know, pharmacy professionals across all sectors, you know, 
primary care, people working in hospitals, mental health trust, health and justice, um, everywhere. They were all experiencing that anxiety and frustration and embarrassment when trying to care for patients who experience language barriers. So really what it's done, the research has identified there's a lack of training and education around that area, which obviously needs to be addressed because it's not just a risk to patient safety, it's also a risk to our healthcare professionals' wellbeing. Now, there are some TNI services, so translation interpretation services that are available to help healthcare professionals, but there are, I'd say, two major issues with it. The first is that people aren't aware of the services that are available to them. So, particularly those working in community, community pharmacy, only 14% of those respondents reported having access to any any services that are there to help them and the patient. Now, in actual fact, there is support there, but they aren't always aware of how or when to access it. And that's that's obviously part of the issue that we need to look at. The other issue is that these services aren't being accessed sufficiently. So these services are designed to, you know, reduce those inequities in care that we have. But 45% of those respondents, of those 500 respondents, so nearly half, have never even used those translation interpretation services. And what's more is that over half of those respondents said that they actively avoid using those services. So they are available, but they're, they're just choosing not to use them. So there's a whole host of reasons why that is, but one which stood out to me was that they didn't feel supported by their workplace to use those language barrier services. So you spoke before about, you know, the, the guidance for commissioners. Now in that guidance for commissioners in 2018, it says that a interpretive consultation should take roughly double the amount of time to have you know, an effective communication process. Um, but people in the workplace don't feel like they have that additional time to sort of support and care for those patients. So they are using those kind of workarounds, which I explained earlier on, um, you know, which is which is wrong, really. Yeah, so there's, there's support in our workforce, but also um, just for people listening, can you can you tell us what kind of language translation services are out there and is it is there more limitations to to using those than just um what you've mentioned there about the healthcare professionals knowing that they're there and uh, the confidence and time to use them yeah. um are there, do we have confidence in in the translation services that we we have available to us yeah so i, I would say no is the answer to that really um it, I, I really want to make it clear that they should be used and overall they do sort of improve communication. They do help facilitate communications, but there are flaws with those services which need to be addressed. So the the main types of translation interpretation services currently used are uh, telephone interpretation. So, you know, you have um, yourself and the patient on the phone and then um, someone who can interpret on the other end. You have physical interpreters so they come in um, and they're there face to face. Um, now, the benefits of the physical one is you get those body language signals because, you know, you can't always get those signals from over the phone. And then you have things like video interpretation, um, and that's great, but you don't always have the technology available in the workplace to be able to use those, or you, you can't get the patient there. So there's, there's flaws with them all, to be honest with you. Um, but I'd say the problem with them overall is that they aren't always accessible and that there are, there are issues with the quality of them. So we've spoken about the fact that people need to start using them, but actually when people have used them, they aren't happy with the standard of them or the quality of them. And 
there's something I, don't, I can't think of the number to add, something crazy like 1200 providers of translation and interpretation services across England and the issue with that is is that there isn't any overarching organization who quality assures or restricts which translation interpretation services should be used so what you get is these inconsistencies in care across the country and even within regions because there's so many different different providers being used and they all offer a slightly different service the quality just isn't there um so that that's that's some of the issues that you have with them yeah and i guess, I guess that also then um accentuates what you you mentioned earlier about that anxiety that our workforce have with the and the confidence in it it's you know creating its own problem in itself as well isn't it mm-hmm. um but actually i i feel as though when you're talking there your research has allowed you to to kind of acknowledge and and bring forward some suggestions that people you know the people listening to this that they might want to identify as potential um solutions within their organization or perhaps first steps to help address um those inequalities with 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 language barriers what what suggestions do you have for those people listening yeah um so i'd say probably at an organizational level first and foremost we need to be teaching people on induction how and when it's appropriate to use those translation interpretation services that are available to them because so many so much of the feedback that i got was that people just didn't know how or when to use them um there was some concerns about the cost of them people saying you know um pharmacy professionals shouldn't really use them because it's a high cost but there's other healthcare professionals that i'm sure would be thinking the same thing and so when is it appropriate to use them make it clear and i i, I don't really like the term quick win but whenever we're talking about edi because you know, it makes it feel like a tick box exercise, but actually it's it's a really easy way to kind of, and a, and a cost-free way to kind of make staff feel more confident to use those services. And it should improve the uptake of them, which is which is one of the issues. Um, and I think organizations also need to review the providers that they use. So, you know, have you got feedback from your staff or patients on those services? Do they think they, they're good? Because I think a lot of the, the finding that I've had is that, you know, across the board, that there are issues there, but I don't think organisations are aware of that. Um, and, you know, the providers that you are using, what quality assurance are, are they given to you? One thing that some some trusts and organisations are starting to do is look at the services within their area and find out, you know, within their ICB setting, who is using what provider? Is there a contract you can sort of look to switch to? to try and improve the consistency of care for that patient. So, you know, if they're going through all these different care settings, ideally you should be using the same provider to get that consistency. Um, so hopefully, you know, you could look and, and sort of see what else is being used. Um, I think it's probably worth mentioning about the educational responsibilities of the organization as well, because there were a few cultural competence concerns that came out of the report. So, you know, where, healthcare professionals believe that the onus should be on the patient to overcome the language barrier. So they actually believe that, you know, if a patient comes into um, your practice setting, for example, that they should bring someone to interpret and they didn't feel like it was their responsibility to kind of resolve that for the patient, which is just incorrect. So, you know, we should be doing everything within our power to sort of to sort of facilitate that communication and make sure we can give them the best quality care. So we need to look at those things. I think on a on an individual healthcare professional level, so if you're thinking about yourself um, as a healthcare provider, what what find out what translation and 
and interpretation services are available to you because many people aren't aware. So actually look and try and find out um, and feedback on any of those issues that you have with them if they aren't working for you. So, you know, it's your responsibility too to, to feedback to your employers when they aren't working. And if you're not getting the support that you need, get that can be quite challenging. Um, but you need to have the confidence, you know, to push back to employers if, if you're not being supported. Um, yeah, I think for any major changes to happen, um, you know, with the improvement of translation interpretation service quality, it needs to be spotlighted though as a priority for commissioners and employers. But it's all of our responsibility to, you know, help to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you finished that because that's obviously quite a high level thing. But as you were talking there with all your suggestions, Jay, actually there's something there for everybody. Like at every level in every profession you can take that first step so you know we've mentioned even at the the level of just um supporting your your colleagues and your workforce with that anxiety and and the awareness of um language barriers right up until that last thing that you mentioned about you know highlighting it at commissioner and, and employee level there's something for everyone with the with those first steps isn't there and um I guess to tie that all together, I, I just want to say that for those medication safety activists that are listening, hopefully what what you've just said there, Jay, with those suggestions, hopefully it's just inspired everybody to go out there to to have a think about what challenges were in your system and just take those first steps. Everybody has a step to take and, and to looking at language barriers and to consider some of the um, advice there that we can do to make things to, to make safety more equitable. Um, for everybody. Um, so it's worth mentioning, I think, that these discussions um, is to support our MSATs, our Medication Safety Across the System webinar on um, medication safety inequalities. So um, for those listening to this podcast, I would recommend that you either listen in live to the webinar or listen to the recording, which is available on the SPS website, as there's um, lots of coordinated resources and discussions related to medication safety inequalities on there. Um, so I'll just finish to say um, that you can find the details for those webinars uh, on the SPS website. If you haven't yet registered on the SPS website, you might want to do that as well. So you can opt in to receive emails and updates about future events, resources, um, associated podcasts. Um, this is just one in a, in a series of podcasts which we do to support our medication safety across the system webinars. And you can register for all of those um, from the SPS homepage. So, all that's left now. Jay, I just want to thank you so much for that really interesting conversation um, and um, thank you for all the work that you've done there on, on medication safety inequalities and, and language barriers. It's been really interesting. So thank you everyone for listening.